Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast that is dedicated to covering every single horror movie franchise, one movie in one episode at a time. I am your host, Mike Snoonian, joined once again by my other co-host. Jerry Smith, what is up? How are we feeling tonight, Jerry? I am feeling so excited, which says a lot. Like These episodes are my favorite, like the episodes on the films and franchises that I despise. Like this is this is my Halloween Six or my you know like I or my or Nightmare on Elm Street remake. This is that movie for Friday Thirteenth, but I'm excited. I was gonna say by Halloween Six, you mean the movie that's due for critical reevaluation and oh, is much better I, than its reputation. I am so excited to get to that episode. I think we're gonna be getting taken to school on that episode, to be quite honest. But I'm well, yeah. Excited. I mean, Anya Stanley's gonna be on that one. Absolutely. But yeah, Jason goes to hell. So a little bit of housekeeping before we introduce our guests. Um, want to say thanks to our listeners. Like again, like this week and this month, we just keep seeing some growth, and we really appreciate that. We got another new review this week over on iTunes, so that leads us to the two things you can do to help this little engine keep kind of chugging along here, and that is a follow us over at Twitter at Pod and Pendulum, and also feel free to leave us a review over at iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast because every time we get a new review it's we see a bunch of new downloads and the uh, time it takes to post that so we really do appreciate you guys taking a few minutes and leaving some really kind words i know that they're not all written by my mom because they're not i don't think she has that many itunes accounts so on that we have any uh if we have any negative ones they were definitely written by my mom Probably. And I would definitely hunt down and kill a person who gave us a negative <laughs> review. If you give us a one-star review, we will come after you with everything that we have and crush you. Um, also, uh, oh, really quickly, in the spirit of kind of plugging friend shows and stuff, uh, there's one podcast that I checked, I uh, listened to this last week, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's called the VHS Podcast. That's V-H-U-S. And what's interesting about this podcast that I listened to was they take a movie, say it's uh, I don't know, like a exorcism movie, and they would talk about the movie, and their guest would be someone that works in that field. And the, the newest episode is on Teen Witch, and their guest is a real witch talking about the movie. So the whole idea of that show is really interesting. So I would I would recommend checking that out. And that's on VHS. Yeah, it's called VHS. I am going to download a couple episodes tonight to listen to after this is over. What I should be editing. So we have some guests tonight. I'm really excited to bring them both on. Um, One of them has jumped in to help us at the last moment because surprisingly, a bunch of people actually want to talk about Jason Goes to Hell. Uh, Up first, we have Mike Vanderbilt, the assistant editor over at dailygrindhouse.com. You can also find his writing and podcasting over at Consequence of Sound. And occasionally you'll find him writing and contributing to the AV Club as well. Mike, how are you tonight? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me, guys. A pleasure chatting with you, especially you, uh, Jerry. Uh, Jerry and I uh, interacted several times online, and I feel like we were mirror images of each other uh, Mm -hmm. when we were adolescents, judging by our interests. Right. Although Jason Goes to Hell is a much better movie than than Halloween 6. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm excited. I'm excited for you to be on the show. Mike is definitely the Anthony Bourdain of horror. (laughs) <laughs> i'll put that put that on my tombstone excellent put, put avenge me on my tombstone and then we have a good time <laughs> and we're also joined by jason parker from friday the 13th franchise.com 
curator of all things Friday the 13th and someone we've actually used when researching and looking up things for each of our episodes. So we're excited to have Jason on. Jason, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing real great. Uh, thank you for having me on to talk about one of my favorite Friday the 13th movies ever. Jerry, we're going to just gang up on Jerry tonight, it sounds like. <laughs> you know what's funny is, like, hearing all three of you guys already talk so just passionately about this movie, like, I'm already having a blast. Like, yeah. I, I prefer talking to people who like things I don't, or vice versa, mm -hmm. more than just, you know, everyone that feels the same. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Yep. I would say it's definitely a breath of fresh air over Jason Takes Manhattan. So so we'll start with you, J Jason. What is it about Friday the 13th? Oh, actually, it's not even Friday the 13th now. What is it about Jason Goes to Hell that you love? Well, I have to say it was the, the very first Friday the 13th or Jason movie that uh, I got to see in the theater by myself mm -hmm. without parents or sneaking in when we were younger. So... That alone was like a big event for me. But the craziest thing about it was I bought the movie magazine. I had the Fangoria magazines, but I purposely did not read about what the movie was about. And so when I went into the film, I'd only seen the Entertainment Tonight uh, spot that they were running where they actually showed Jason being blown up. Mm -hmm. And I thought they showed the end of the movie. <laughs> when I went in, so when I went in to watch the movie and I was with my buddies and all of a sudden they blow them up right away, I, it was a what the fuck moment. And mm -hmm. I'm like, what are they doing? I thought it was like, I thought they were doing the whole, you know, self-aware thing. They're filming a movie about Jason in the movie. And from there, like the ride they take you on, the effects work, the mythology, going back to the town and actually getting to know the characters in mm -hmm. town again, which is something they hadn't really done since the earlier films. Mm -hmm. I was just, I love the ride and the fact that it was just different. And then they brought Jason back at the end, right at the very end right. to kind of satisfy you that, that thirst, that mm -hmm. want for him. Yep. And mm -hmm. I just love the energy they brought to it. And ever since then, I've been a huge fan. Excellent. And how about yourself, Mike? What is it about Jason goes to hell that tickles you? I, I, uh, Jason, similar to you, this was the first one uh, that I saw at the show. Uh, my dad took us on Friday, August 13th, took a bunch of neighborhood kids to Ford City 14 on Chicago's south side. And for some reason, the afternoon showing of Jason Goes to Hell was packed uh, that <laughs> afternoon. And there's no better movie to see with a packed audience, a packed, very vocal, very loud audience. I will never forget that during the Diner Massacre when... Uh, she jumps over the uh, counter and pulls out the shotgun and some guy just screams like, oh my God, that's a double barrel. And <laughs> it's the silliest thing, but even when I rewatched it for this episode, like I, I was reminded of that. And for me, it's hard to separate the nostalgia of it that, you know, I saw it when I was 13, which is just a great age to see a movie like this. But mm -hmm. reassessing it as, as an adult is it's the imagination uh, that they bring into the series and Daily Grindhouse has three separate pieces defending Jason Goes to Hell, which <laughs> I was only involved in in one of them. But I think that speaks volumes that people are always quick to deride this one, but people are even quicker to defend it. And uh, my uh, defense of it uh, against anybody who would you know dislike the film is like after eight entries, what else were you supposed to do? And now my immediate answer wouldn't be turn it into the hidden, but that's what they did. <laughs> and it works like gangbusters still to this day. 
Mm-hmm. I feel like Jack's shoulder should get a paycheck anytime someone watches Jack or uh, Jason goes to hell for the hidden. <laughs> so this was also the first Friday that I saw in theaters as well. I was 18 years old. I went opening weekend on a Sunday with a date and the same thing. It was basically packed house on a late Sunday afternoon, everybody hooting and hollering and having like a really good time with it. Um, So to me, like there's that nostalgia factor of being able to go see this movie uh, in a packed house. And like, it's the first Friday the 13th you're seeing that you're not renting, uh, but actually seeing in the big screen. So I just had a blast with it. I thought it was like so much fun. And it was really fun to go back. Like, you know, I think later on I convinced myself, oh, I don't really like that movie. And then rewatching it, I'm like, I'm out of my mind. Like, this movie's fan fucking dastic. So let's take a. Yeah. And Jerry? Jerry, what do you think about Jason Goes to Hell? I was in junior high when the film came out, and I was just, I was so excited. Because at that point, like, you know, you're, you're young enough at that age to not really have these kind of like really thought out Mm. opinions about a lot of these movies. Like, I mean, even then I was a huge fan of Jason takes Manhattan, which is a a movie that, I mean, as much as I love the franchise, it's hard for me to even sit through these days. So, I mean, at 12 or 13, I I would have digested anything thrown at me. I saw it opening night. uh, I remember a friend of mine asked his mom if if he could go with me. And she said, no, because, you know, obviously something bad's going to happen in a theater if you see a new Friday the 13th movie on Friday the 13th. <laughs> uh, and I just, I remember that trailer, man. Like, it was just so cool, you know? It's just, even at that age, though, and that age where you'll watch anything, like, I walked out of it just kind of feeling, like, really weird. Kind of like the same feeling, and I'm going to be uh, comparing these two a lot during this episode. But the same feeling that when I was, uh, you know, I think, 14, 15, that I went to see Halloween 6 in the theater. You know, I I walked out of both of these films thinking like, man, that's interesting. And maybe I would have enjoyed those movies if they were called something else. But I mean, the explanations is what bothered me. You know, like Halloween 6, it it, it bothers me that the scariest character in history, in my opinion, is reduced to being controlled by a senior citizen cult. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, or like, even stay on Halloween for a quick second. Or, or Rob Zombie's Halloween. It bothered me that the scariest character of all time was reduced to, oh, he's just a long-haired Kiss fan that's really pissed and kills his family because his sister right. doesn't take him trick-or-treating. Like, the fact that the Jason Voorhees that I grew up just adoring, and, and yeah, you've seen the movie so many times before that, you know, like, basically staying on that formula. But on, in all honesty, and maybe this is a lack of personality on my part, that formula is what I love about the series. And it, it's those, those entries that kind of went off the rails and Jason Goes to Hell kind of felt like the Jason that I loved is basically a worm. Like, what, what the fuck? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and I'm not going to get negative on this episode. I mean, you know, anyone that listens to this show knows that, like, I love talking about things that I'm not even, not even mm-hmm. a fan of. But, like, I remember just walking out, like, not even wanting to talk about the movie for a little while because I just didn't know what the hell I had just seen. <laughs> well, like, you know, with Jason Goes to Hell, it's, it's an interest. It's a very divisive movie among the fans of that franchise. I can tell you on a daily basis and social media that you, you have a lot of fans who absolutely despise it. And it's because of that fact, like you mentioned, where it's so different and it just does go off the rails. It's not your typical Friday movie. 
Um, and most people are very traditional uh, fans of the franchise. They want that formula, like you mentioned. And the fact that this did not give you that formula and dared to do something very different, I think to this day really, really has people up in arms. I mean, that's probably the most talked about movie in out of any of the movies uh, on a daily basis that I've seen, uh, especially through social media. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about where the Friday series was at this point. Um, it had been about what year? 1989 is when Jason Takes Manhattan came yes. out. So it had been about four years or the longest stretch without a Jason Voorhees movie since the start of the franchise. And you and have to remember, and you have to remember that Freddie uh, had his final film, mm -hmm. what, two years before this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so it looked like you were just trying to wrap all these guys up. Right. But something happened in between, like, Freddie being dead and uh, this movie coming out. And that would have been Paramount and Phil Scuderi finally wiping their hands clean of the Friday the 13th franchise and selling the rights to New Line Cinema and Sean Cunningham. But they didn't sell the name Friday the 13th. They just sold the characters like Jason Voorhees and his traits like the hockey mask, Crystal Lake, and his history as like a drowned special needs kid. Like all of those things stayed in. They kept the name Friday the 13th, though. So you can now make more Jason movies at the studio, but you can't call them Friday the 13th. Well, you know what's funny about that is, and yeah, Phil Scuderi was definitely somewhat of a sketchy individual. But I, I can't help but feel sorry that he only got maybe four or five hundred thousand dollars out of that deal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean <laughs> like you almost have to laugh at that. This guy was like shepherding the series throughout the whole his the whole franchise. I mean, he was responsible for so many iconic deaths, you know, mm -hmm. getting on the phone, telling them, you know, put this death in, put that death in. And they they sell it. Paramount gets all this money and Phil Scuderi gets maybe four hundred grand. Right. Like it, it's man, yikes. I mean, Scuderi used to act out what he wanted for the kill scenes at these little restaurants on the north end of Boston, like the Italian district in Boston. He would like, you know, be in these crowded restaurants and be like, now you got to you know, get up from his table and start acting out what he wanted to see in these movies, which I think is just hilarious to think of. Mm -hmm. So... But the idea now is like at this point, New Line has the rights to Freddy Krueger, to Leatherface, and to uh, Jason Voorhees. So what springs to mind when you think of Freddy and Jason being in the same studio now? Well, it's the same thing that, you know, Adam Marcus said was his idea. You know, Tom McLaughlin says he had a, you know, part of it and Sean Cunningham. Like everyone wanted to see Freddy versus Jason. And mm -hmm. like the hockey mask, I, I find it really funny that I mean, yeah, like the hockey mask, everyone seems to want to take credit for the idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you wanted to take credit for the idea, you could look at every sixth grader on a playground in the late, <laughs> right? in the late 80s had this idea. This is like yeah. the, the no-brainer of ideas. And what's funny is it's, it is that weird idea that shouldn't work, but it does. Like, I, you know, growing up, I had so many dumb ideas that I would try to pitch to, like, friends, like you said, at the schoolyard. Like, I'm still waiting for Candyman versus Leprechaun, you know, because <laughs> in, in fourth or fifth grade, that was, like, the best idea ever. Yeah, I mean, that's the only reason why Sean got the rights back to begin with, is he uh -huh. wanted to make Freddy versus Jason. That was it. That was the only reason he went and got those rights back. And, uh, and and then once, you know, they realized that uh, New Line had other plans with Wes Craven to go make New Nightmare, you know, he pretty much was just like, 
okay, I guess we're going to try to make another Jason movie. And, you know, and, and Jason goes to hell was born. <laughs> well, what's, what's, what's really funny about that is like, yeah, Sean Cunningham goes through that and he's like, you know, oh, okay, well let's, let's make another one. But the idea that, that he, he came to the, the realization like, oh, let's make another one. And who better to get my son's 23-year-old friend to write and direct the new Friday the 13th? <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't the only thing he told him was just get him out of the mask? Well, yep. Cunningham says that. Cunningham yeah. says that. But even in Crystal Lake Memories, or no, Marcus says that. Cunningham said in Crystal Lake Memories that he never said that and he didn't care about the mask one way or the other. So he had no like bad feelings about that. I am more prone to believe Adam Marcus when it comes to that. I think Cunningham <laughs> seems like a rewriter of history. Uh, I mean, he was on the record of saying he thought the idea of Jason being a killer was a really stupid one to begin with in part two. And so I kind of believe Adam Marcus when he says like, yeah, mm -hmm. that's the one directive was get him out of that mask as soon as humanly possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that in a lot of ways, Sean was just trying to save face over the years just so the fans wouldn't get mad at him. It sounds strange, but that's kind of the gist of what you what you get out of that. It's, oh, such, an odd, it's such an odd directive, too, mm -hmm. especially after the deal that they made that, yeah, you get the hockey mask with that. But, yeah, get him out of the mask. It's mm -hmm. it's bizarre, well, especially it, after like the series becoming so popular as it like had gotten at that point. I mean, Cunningham comes into this very popular franchise that he created, but kind of went off on a different direction and the di different direction that it went on became what the series was known for. So he comes on to this movie and he's just like, well, yeah, I'm back. Let's get rid of the, the, the thing that kind of helps everyone identify the series. Right. Let's get rid of the hockey mask and let's get rid of Jason for, you know, three quarters of the movie. <laughs> like now that I'm talking about it, it's almost like so batshit insane that you can't mm -hmm. help but like admire that decision. Absolutely. And I also admire um, both well, New Line on both counts that when they killed Freddy and they did kill Jason, they stuck to their guns long enough. If you don't count New Nightmare, which was supposed mm -hmm. to be its own thing anyway. Right. Because the new Nightmare movie is not the Freddy Krueger from the movies, but, you know, a Freddy Krueger that was sprung from the movies. So, you know, that was we'll get to that one day when we cover the Nightmare series. But that was Wes Craven's middle finger to all the other <laughs> movies. <laughs> oh, and it's a good, good middle finger. And it's very much ahead of its time, too. Oh, most definitely. Mm hmm. Jerry, you had mentioned Adam Marcus, like who better to direct. Can you tell us a little bit about what Adam Marcus had done to this point in order to kind of maybe warrant getting tapped for this movie? Well, Adam Marcus grew up with Noel Cunningham, Sean's son. And so, I mean, they were buds. You know, I, I believe they went to film school together or something along those lines. And uh, the I, Adam Marcus had originally, from what I was reading and stuff originally he was set to direct his first film was going to be my boyfriend's back which his friend dean laurie wrote mm -hmm. but i mean disney kind of wasn't on board with this really super fresh you know 20 22 23 year old filmmaker so they didn't think he was qualified enough so it went to bob balaban uh which is really interesting if you think about bob balaban uh but I mean, yeah, that was his first break. He didn't get the job. You know, he went to Cunningham kind of begging for, you know, a chance. And Cunningham's like, okay, well, we're doing a Friday 13th movie. I mean, right. as as a horror fan, you know, I would have jumped at that too. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, how cool 
could it be? Like your first movie, a Friday the 13th movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's, been, and it's really interesting, too, with him when uh, when they were choosing him, you know, Cunningham and went to New Line and said, this is the guy I want. And they were like really shaky about that, kind of like with my boyfriend's back with Disney, where they were like, well, who is this guy? And so basically they said, why don't you just go and film a scene, film one scene. Let's see what it looks like. And I believe it was the scene where the two um, uh, Stephen and his uh, police officer friend are fighting and they're, they're sitting on the ground next mm. to the cop car. And yeah. that's the that's the scene that they filmed and showed to the execs at New Line. And once they saw that, Mike, De, Mike DeLuca at the time, who was uh, one of the heads there, he was like, this looks good. Let's do it. We'll roll with him. Oh, Mike DeLuca, writer of Freddy's Dead. <laughs> one, of the, <laughs> one of the 50. One of the 50 writers of Freddy is Dead. Or one of the you know, but I'll, I'll give him credit. He also wrote In the Mouth of Madness, mm-hmm. so he's not that bad. Port DeLuca wasn't even around to the end uh, at New Line. He was shepherded out the door right as Freddy versus Jason was going to go to go to um, from script to screen. But that's a story. Can you imagine being the one of the people that really like kind of like steward that kind of like process and really, you know, try to nurture it. And then like last last minute, you're like, well, sorry, sorry. Cocaine is a hell of a drug, man. (laughs) (laughs) Cocaine is yeah, a hell he, of a drug. He and not only that, not only was he was he pushed out for Freddy vs. Jason, but he was the main proponent of Jason X. And yeah. when they when they pushed him out, that's why Jason X got shelled for two years before it got released theatrically in the US. Man. So so what do we think? Here here's one of the things that jumps out to me about about Marcus's vision for the movie and something I really like about it. It's an older cast. Um the if you grew up loving the Friday the 13th movies and seeing them in theaters during their heyday, you're no longer a high school student. As a matter of fact, like if you were around from 80 to 84, back when the series really was at its creative and commercial peak, you're not only out of high school, but you're out of college at this point, maybe getting married, maybe starting to have kids. So you're about a decade plus removed. And I think that that is reflected in the cast here. You have a much older cast and you're not camp counselors anymore, but you get Erin Gray from shows like Buck Rogers and Silver Spoons as like a diner waitress who is engaged or married to the town sheriff. You get like Richard uh, Gant, who is a coroner, one of those really good like that guy actors who is the only good thing about Rocky Five. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Touch me, I'll sue. Yeah, George, <laughs> what are you gonna take? I got nothing. Yeah, George, <laughs> George Washington Duke, and he still works in this day and things like the Mindy Project, Deadwood. Um, his first like kind of leading role was in like a TBS comedy called Men of a Certain Age, which is what Ray Romano did after uh, Everybody Loves Raymond came to an end. Um, and I love John LeMay is the lead here. Um, John LeMay playing the role, uh, the lead role in Friday the 13th, the series, now comes back uh, to take the lead role in Jason Goes to Hell. I find this dude charming as hell and don't know why he has not been in more things. He's fun to watch. Like he has such a, a presence on screen that he's he's he he comes off like uh, a Chris Pratt or someone like that. I mean, not visually, obviously, but you know, someone that can lead a movie and actually has like this really humorous presence about him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, it's a bummer. 
what jumped out to you guys of the casting or the characters in this movie compared to some of the other Friday the 13th? I was surprised that they went. I mean, I looking back at it now, I'm glad they went with the overcast. I like that. I think the uh, kind of soapy melodrama this of it adds something to the series again. Like we've been through this formula eight times before. Let's do something different. Mm-hmm. But I am surprised that they went with that because I feel like New Line tried to do that with uh, the Dream Child, mm-hmm. which I, I I enjoy that film. But it didn't seem to work as far as the box office went. So I'm surprised that they did that with their other big uh, franchise that they now they had their hands on. What kind of always uh, not ruined the movie for me, because, I mean, I try to give it a fair shake every time I watch Jason Goes to Hell. But one of the things that takes me out is growing up, one of the many things that I loved about the franchise is that the victims were kind of like the kids that were, you know, in, you know, fictionally a few years, just a few years older than me, you know? Like, going to see Jason Goes to Hell, you know, I was, like, 13 years old. So I was expecting more, like, late teens people, like, you know, the characters before. And it's like, I don't want to watch a movie with people that were my dad's age at the time. Because, you, know, you know, I was a kid. I wanted that kind of formula. I wanted the teens getting killed. And, you know, yeah, I, I give them nothing but props for doing something different. But it, it just, it, I think it lacks that kind of relatability to, to the, its characters. Sure. No, I, I, I definitely see where you're coming from on, in that respect, but I've always been a fan of quirky characters in, in the franchise, like Friday mm-hmm. the 13th, The New Beginning. I, I love all of those characters. I think they yeah. make that movie so much better than it deserves to be. <laughs> um, and with Jason Goes to Hell, I think it's a lot of the same. You know, you have R- Rusty Schwimmer playing Joey B, you know, that real eccentric owner of the diner. Oh, those um, uh, Rusty Schwimmer and uh, uh, Leslie Jordan are the two things about Jason Go to Hell. Jason Goes to Hell that I actually love. I mean, they yes. have their scenes are so funny to watch. And Leslie Jordan, I think, is just one of the funniest guys around. <laughs> the bit with the gun when he's trying to yeah. <laughs> the gun back is spectacular. It's, it's great, yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I just I love the whole setup with the characters in the town. I think it's great that they went back to into the town to show you something, you know, how this affected the residents. Like you hadn't seen that in a very long time. The fact that they were celebrating Jason being killed, they had the Voorhees burgers, the Jason fingers, the whole deal. I just, I really like that part of the story, you know, separate just from the whole mythology that they were trying to set up with Jason. Well, what's what's interesting is I find those scenes actually more entertaining than the actual violence. I, I love that about Jason Goes to Hell. I love that it shows, you know, the inner workings of the people of the city. I think for me, the only, the, the things that don't work about the film to me uh, are just the parts where it's just it feels weird watching a Friday the Thirteenth movie where Stephen Culp's running around trying to kill people. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like that the, the body switching stuff, the body jumping stuff is the only things about the movie that I that just that kill it for me. I love I love it. You know when it shows the inner workings of the city. I love Rusty Schwimmer and, and Leslie Jordan's performances. I love the violence and the kills are amazing. It's just it still feels weird to me that like. Jason is a worm in the movie, you know, like I, I can't <laughs> seem to like, I can't seem to disconnect from that. Yeah. I, I think that's that, that's the, the visuals that they wanted to employ in the film, like the in your face part of that definitely yeah. takes a lot of people out of the film. One of the things I always thought that maybe could have served the film better is what if they went back to what the original film was, was which was a, a whodunit. Who's who, who is Jason in? Yeah. Where you you would you're trying to guess which one is actually the killer, and if they had gone to that and actually had the people that just show the feet and the bottom of you know of their legs when they're 
when they're in the woods and the guessing part of it. I, if they could have went that route, I think it really would have added a little bit more to the film. See, that's interesting because, I mean, who wouldn't want to watch basically a Friday the 13th take on the thing? Like, that's, that's <laughs> such a great idea. Because I love the body horror that's in this movie, and we'll talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about um, the effects work that K&B did going in. So I think it's some of the best effects in the series overall. But mm-hmm. before we move away from that, I think there's one character that we do need to talk about, and that's Mr. <laughs> You know, and and of course that character is you know uh, Jessica Kimball. Uh, no, that character is Crane <laughs> Duke, man. Crane fucking Duke, bounty hunter extraordinaire. That guy is basically the equivalent of like Doctor Loomis in the later movies, where he was just as crazy as Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. You know, like Crane Duke is that guy is off his rocker the entire movie like i I love listening to his dialogue i still have no idea what the guy like is saying half the time no i I love them from the moment i saw him because i always liked when uh they would give a a heroic foil to the villains in these horror movies be it tommy jarvis be it uh alice johnson and or you know just the, the evil dead movies they followed ash through all of them like mm-hmm. you never really saw a series that every movie also featured uh, the hero and Creighton Duke was uh, he wore a cowboy hat he had a duster I just thought he was cool. He has yeah, so what what did he mean every time he spoke? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't well, know you, what his mo- I don't know what his motivation was. Like just he just seemed to be there to antagonize people. You <laughs> know what he, he reminds me. He was of. just nice about it. Like he, maybe he could have gotten some help. You know. Creighton Duke reminds me of like an early prototype of the Rust Cole character in True Detective. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, there's all these like mystical things he's saying, and you have no idea what the fuck he means. Like, like right. what? It's just bizarre. Like the hot dog through the donut line. It's just yes. insane. It's like, where do you get that? Who comes up with that? You know? Yep. <laughs> like that... on the fly. Dean Lorry, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's an but interesting it's... character just just because of the fact that, like you guys said, like where does he come from and why is he there? And it's because of all the editing they did on the film and from the original script that you lose so much of the character's backstory. And if, if you didn't read the, the accompanying uh, comics <laughs> that they released at the time or you didn't read the movie magazine, his motivation is just so out of left field that you don't understand. It's not until you actually get those pieces does it become you know more sensical you know it's not it's nonsensical to you so what are those pieces as someone that didn't read the movie magazine or the comics what are those pieces that are missing so basically he was on a camping trip of sorts or a hiking trip with his wife and jason killed his wife mm-hmm. and that's oh. what led him to become the bounty hunter and track serial killers Okay. Wow, that's so he's basically the John Walsh. That's it, exactly. Yeah, he spends his life basically looking for the guy who killed his wife. And mm-hmm. but they never explain how he knows the family tree or how to kill Jason. That was I don't believe they ever okay. really get into that at all. Now, do you do you know if that was filmed uh, and if that was part of the kind of redirects that came with the edit cuz I know there was a lot of subplots that were cut out. I mean, sure. uh uh, Aaron Gray's character was going to go on her honeymoon. Uh, I mean, Carrie Keegan and Stephen Culp weren't even a couple in the original edits. So that was changed. So, I mean, right. was that stuff filmed with Crane Duke? 
I that believe was never filmed. That was I, never see, filmed. Are you sure? I and I, I have no knowledge of this, but as I was watching the rewatch, like there's that moment where he's got the baby at the end, and he says to um, the what was the female lead? That's Carrie Keegan. Mm-hmm. Carrie Keegan. Uh, yes. He says, "Just give me two minutes," and then. They hang out like for like <laughs> ten seconds, and then he just hands over the baby and says, "That's all the reasoning I need." So it's like I, I assume that it was. I just have to assume it was filmed because like that edit is really rough. Like, where's the exposition, right? Where, where's this? Where's that moment where he comes out and says, "Okay, this is why I'm doing it." You know, there there is a scene that they filmed in the police station. There's a whole other subplot that they never show on film. It kind of goes to what we're talking about, where he's already in the police station. The reason why he's in the jail cell when they bring Stephen in is because he got. He was sitting on a white woman. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) But he got. (laughs) But he got caught trying to take Diana's body out of the morgue. Jesus, that's some hardcore stuff. Yeah, and that's why he's at the police station. And there's scenes that they filmed of. That the police bringing him into the station and the sheriff basically pushing him up against the wall and you know tell him you son of a bitch and you know See, I, I want I want all of these scenes put back in for like a uh, you know producer's cut like Halloween so six there there I go again because I mean so, with Halloween six yeah, really quickly with Halloween six you know you get the producer's cut where all this stuff's put back in and it doesn't make any more sense it's even weirder I mean you know Paul Rudd stops <laughs> Michael Myers with runes. Like so I Jay- want, I want an off the rocker version of this movie even more. So, Jerry, you essentially want the once in a, once upon a time in America cut of Jason goes to hell. <laughs> I want like, a four hour. I want a four hour, you know, assembly cut of Jason goes to hell, just so I, I can understand what is going on. I'm surprised <laughs> it hasn't happened because while I was rewatching it, like yeah, I was I was impressed with how brisk the movie is, but also yeah, there's. There's big chunks, especially if you know that there was stuff that was cut out. We're like, oh yeah, there's big old plot holes in here. Mm-hmm. You know that, what? Like, like screw the nerds wanting the Snyder cut. Give us the Marcus cut. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Marcus cut. So, what do we think of of Duke breaking Stevens' fingers for no reason whatsoever in the jail in a very bizarre scene? <laughs> See now, <Very>. I, <laughs> I, uh, and maybe this was like some. Uh, real stretch in my head about why I, why he would do that to Stephen <laughs> is that he needed to find out if Stephen was brave enough. So ask to... him if he's brave enough. <laughs> well, of course he's going to say he is. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, look, I knew it was a stretch when I was coming up. That's the only reason I can think that the screenwriters would have said this what has to happen. Like what kind of dickhead said, you know what? Great I don't Duke have... who fucking talks all this weirdo shit at the diner. That's who breaks your it's like, yeah, I know how to, I know how to defeat Jason, and I'll tell you if you let me break your fucking fingers. <laughs> what? He's obviously goofballs. <laughs> like, it, I think you hit it on the head, Jerry. You said he's like crazy, like Doctor Loomis, and Doctor Loomis is a different kind of crazy. By, I mean, at the end of part four, you know, spoiler alert, he tries to gun down a nine-year-old girl. Haven't <laughs> we all? I mean, as you do. Um, so he's a much different kind of crazy where Creighton Duke is definitely just likes to fuck with people. I can't think well, of he another. He gets a satisfaction. Sure. And you can exactly. tell you can tell from the scene in the diner, you know, where he's talking to Aaron Gray's character. There's a look in Creighton Duke's eye that's just like, 
You know, he's like that little <laughs> shitty kid. That little shitty. My wife works in, in a, an interactive children's museum, and there's always that shitty kid that looks around at everything's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna mess this up today." Yes, that's yep. what Creighton Duke is. Well, I think what's funny is behind the scenes, Stephen Williams, who played Creighton Duke and was also uh, probably best known for Mr. X and the X-Files, Stephen Williams liked to party hard, I guess, behind the scenes. And um, he was definitely a Me Too moment waiting to happen. Uh, <laughs> some of the stories that you read. So I find that the uh, there was maybe not a lot of like having to build that character from scratch going into the way that Williams played that role. Oh, most definitely. And it, it seems that the actual filming of the movie was, was very, uh, very stressful as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have everything from Kane Hodder kind of being somewhat disappointed in the lack of Jason, kind of like everyone, mm-hmm. tried to go to the, all the people who played the various you know versions possessed by Jason and kind of just help them with little quirks that Jason would have done. Mm-hmm. And you would think that, you know, someone had played Jason two times before, you'd listen to them. But then you have like Stephen Colt that was so against that that he even goes on record in crystallic memories because obviously this isn't going to go to print, you know, <laughs> goes on record saying that Kane Hodder is just a stuntman and a teamster. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, but I'm not the biggest fan of the four movies that Kane Hodder was in as Jason, but he is fucking amazing as Jason in every right. one of them. Kane Hodder, I... Kane Hodder made the Jason that we recognize today. So for right. someone just to call him a stuntman, like, it's ridiculous. I think that it's really important to note that in all four Friday movies that Kane Hodder is in, he brought his A-game. And he's not my favorite Jason, but you're right. I think he's the one that you most identify with the character. And he brought his A-game to every single scene he was in. And for, like, Culp to say that is just so disrespectful. Just, well, that, just... and you have, you have Kane Hodder kind of being bummed and helping people and nobody being receptive. Or you mm-hmm. have Carrie Keegan and Adam Marcus despising each other by the end of the production that Mm -hmm. Cunningham had to direct a couple of scenes because they couldn't be around each other. You know, Keegan didn't want to be nude in the shower scene. Adam Marcus thought it would be high art unless, you know, if she would. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That, uh, I mean, Creighton Duke, I mean, that guy was walking around with no clothes on on set. Like, it it seemed like behind the scenes was just as nuts as the actual Mm -hmm. film. And I think that comes in part of giving like a 23-year-old kid this pretty big production and making it his first movie. You're kind of learning on the job as you go there. Well, my son's 10 years old, and he, he came up with this uh, franchise called Desserts of Evil about these mm. uh, possessed eclairs and danishes that would stop the end of the world. And I, I think that maybe he's kind of the same level as Adam Marcus when he did Jason Goes to Hell. So maybe, wow. Maybe, maybe Cunningham could kind of give him a shot. <laughs> so stay tuned for our special bonus inter- episode when we interview Adam Marcus. <laughs> oh, I'm just messing around. So, Oh, wow. All right. Uh, so where do we go from here, folks? Where do we go from where do we go from Desserts of Evil? And I don't just mean this episode. I mean, like, with this show, period. Like, with the, the next effects. We have no. We have to talk to the, okay. about the effects because, as much as and I'm I'm joking with you guys. Like I don't hate Jason Goes to Hell as much as I'm saying I do. Like it's it's not a movie I enjoy, but like I don't have right. like it's not on a list of movies I want to murder. No, it's not you know? as shitty as Mandy. It's not as nearly. You know as shitty I love as that movie, but I will give you that. But no, the effects in Jason Goes to Hell is definitely the highlight of the movie. I mean, KMB did such a great job the tent scene is one of the best kills in the entire Mm -hmm. series because what the tent kill is it's getting every 
teenage like just horn dogs that went to see these movies just for that. You know, like my older brother would only go with me to a Friday Thirteenth movie because he wanted to see boobs. I wanted to see the great kids. My brother wanted to see the boobs. But what the tent scene is and Jason goes to hell is getting people like my brother really excited, and then the girl gets split in half in the middle. I mean, yeah. it, it's that whole delivery and the effects, just the effects in general for the film, are amazing. It's and it's really interesting that 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 is one of the highlight scenes of the film, and it wasn't even in the original script. That yeah, was, was a, a uh, uh, after after the fact, right? Yeah, like they, they, did a, they did a test screening with audiences, and, and every single one of the people that came out of the theater says, you need to have a camp scene. You don't have enough kills. So they yeah. went mm-hmm. back, wrote that scene up real quick. They brought back um, John LeMay, and they filmed the whole thing with the campers, and they had to whip up those effects really yeah. quick, which are unbelievable. And, yeah, it's a, it's a spectacular scene, and it was really needed in the film, I think. And well, what's also interesting uh, is that the I, behind the scenes, the two actors that were in the, the tent scene had previously dated and broken up by that point. So yeah, to be in right. a scene together must have been uncomfortable. And it's mm-hmm. funny because, I mean, even in films like uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween, uh, Christina Klebb, I believe, dated the guy that she was supposed to be in the sex scene with, and they had broken up since then. So it seems like... Maybe <laughs> people in horror films are just sadistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted that sexual tension, you know, just yeah. <laughs> everything from before. One of my favorite kills and moments in the movie in the series is the face that is smushed through the grating of the um, autopsy table. Spectacular, yes. Oh, it's just That's bloody, gory, right? gory. Yeah, it is just, it's awesome. Um, like that, at that moment, you're like, all right, we know what we're going to get in, into here. What do we think of the look of Jason in this movie? I love it. I absolutely love it. I think mm-hmm. it's great that they went and combined different looks from previous films into one character. Um, you know, just using the exposed spine from like part seven. And, and you have, the, of course, the, the iconic axe cut and, you know, and, and the side of his face where the mask is kind of like from six where they, the motor blade kind of pushed it away and Mm -hmm. it just and and then of course you have the oversized oversized head which kind of harkens back to part two and you kind of put all these things together and it's like a greatest hits of of jason looks and uh in that suit that kane had to endure just to get it's it that's a whole thing they had to run it's it's awesome it's a great look but what he had to go through to just to get in that thing is is crazy that's interesting. It was it was much more of a process than the the new blood look. Yeah, it was. Um, it's an entire suit that he zipped up in, and in fact, oh, wow. they had to run a cooling system through the suit. <laughs> That's how hot it was in there. They had an mm-hmm. actual cooling system. Um, he couldn't take it off easily. And so like the whole, the, all the skin, that's one suit. And then they would put the clothes over the top of that. Oh, wow. And then the hood, the hood actually uh, Velcroed to the suit that he was wearing and then they put the hockey mask over that and it buttoned on the mask the hockey mask itself didn't actually slide over with the straps the straps were actually built into the hood the Ooh. that he wore and then they snapped the front of the mask onto the straps wow that must have been crazy for kane hotter i mean well, lucky yeah. for him he's not in the movie at all so. <laughs> <laughs> So, Mike, what are your thoughts? You've been quiet for a bit. Like, what are your thoughts on the effects and the look of Jason here? Like you guys are saying, going back to the the tent the tent sequence, like, it, what a, that's an all timer as far as uh, Friday Thirteenth kills go. 
like that split. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm guessing it was cut a little bit, but it's still pretty gory for, uh, for an R rated flick when, uh, you know, the, the pole goes right through that chick. Um, and as far as Jason's look, like I dig it, except I was again, like you were saying, Kane Hodder's never been my favorite Jason, even though he's played him the most. I think he's too big, too bulky. I prefer like, you know, part three Jason where he's kind of a, uh, a slender hillbilly that's the jason i love but i do like you were going back to what you're saying about the greatest hits of the the, the mass like it's awesome that they paid that much detail to what had happened previously in the series like that uh shows a little bit of respect for people mm-hmm. who had been coming to these movies uh for over 10 years at that point yeah, definitely. And, and speaking on what you're talking about, you know, maybe it being cut a little bit for an R rating. When Jason Goes to Hell came out on VHS, it was released in an R rated and an un- unrated cut. So you got to choose which one you, you, you know. It's interesting with that because um, when they were filming, uh, Mike DeLuca basically told them, go ahead and film whatever you want because <laughs> we're going to make a director's cut, which had never been done before. No, that's what I was going to say. Like, it's so interesting that, I mean, if that kind of uh, release uh, plan had been had happened for New Blood, I mean, could that have been saved? Could that have saved the New Blood from being slaughtered by the MPAA, I wonder? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, like, so. look at, like, the amount, I mean, this, like you said, it was way before the time of, like, director's cuts and that kind of stuff. I mean, I remember when I went to rent it, you know, the unrated version, like, I was blown away that the fact that I'm finally getting to see a Friday the 13th movie the way it was meant, you know, meant yeah. to be seen. And, and I, I think it goes... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just gonna say, I think it goes to show that, like, as much as we can talk about how kind of batshit uh, crazy some of the decisions New Line made with this movie was, like, they were definitely showing the film more respect than Paramount had been showing, I mean, throughout the entire run of the series. Like, Paramount just saw him as a cash cow. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. Like, Paramount, to this day, they could, if they were able to, like, restore some of the footage that had been lost and, and put together these director's cuts, like, that's a whole, like, I don't know a Friday the 13th fan that wouldn't go ahead and buy this their movies for the third or fourth time even, <laughs> but they just have like zero interest and they're almost like we've said before, seem a little bit embarrassed by these movies. No, they always have been. Uh, but, you know, even going back to the, the film itself, it is such an interesting uh, ride. And, and like I, I've said many times, it's not a movie that I particularly enjoy. And, but it is interesting how out there it is i mean there's tons of nods to other franchises you know mm-hmm. i mean is does it take place in the evil dead or the creep show mythology i mean are those universes i mean when i was 13 <laughs> i almost lost my mind when i saw the Nep- necronomicon mm-hmm. in, in uh, the Voorhees. house but it, it kind of uh, it was a weird way of saying yeah the Voorhees family's always been into witchy stuff like it's cool <laughs> <laughs> and i think that's something to love about the movie and just to be like because it does it in a way where it, it doesn't call attention to it, but it like kind of brings all these fans from all these different franchises kind of under one big umbrella tent at that point. And I when, I, that. when I saw that in the theater, and it's, it's the weirdest image ever once I say it, you guys will imagine it and think it's even weirder. When I was a kid, at 13, I saw it in the theater, and I saw the Necronomicon. The first thing that popped in my head was Pamela Voorhees in her sweater with a chainsaw hand. <laughs> like that is the fan film that we need to see get made that's that's certainly an image right there <laughs> no but seriously 
I, I think that it would be a real disservice to the movie, and especially of fans of the movie like your, yourselves, uh, to not discuss uh, the shaving scene, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, all right. So I, I, I'll get on this first, because that was one of those things when I saw it when I was 13, when I saw it when I was 15 even, I said, okay, maybe I'll understand this. Maybe I'll get this when I'm older. I watched this three days ago. I still don't understand why Jason shaves that guy. I I don't get it. He, he just that, and Jason, Jason's not the authority on shaving. I mean, look at his shave job in Friday Thirteenth too. You know, <laughs> he does much better by Part Three though. He's got that clean shaved look, and he's even got the bald chrome dome going, so it gets better for him. And that's before uh, that's before the Quattro. Like he was using one of those <laughs> those bullshit disposable razors, man. <laughs> So I I can say that like is I think I'm a, a bearded gentleman Jerry I know you've got a great big shaggy beard. Um not everybody likes sucking face with someone with a beard. Uh I remember when I played in a band we practiced every Saturday morning and we always went to like Harold's ice cream and breakfast diner in Alston, like around the corner from our practice space. And there was this really, you know, cute girl who worked behind the counter and she gave like our drummer, like this note, like saying like, look, you know, shave your beard and you'll get nookie was literally the note that she gave him. So was that Jason's idea when he so, was shaving people and Jason was a help? just didn't want to suck face <laughs> with someone. If you really stop and think about it, it's the idea of saying that out loud, Jason Voorhees shaving somebody. Like what? Yeah. Like, what? It's, what it's got mean? to go back to the kissing thing. Like, I, I, you're being facetious, but like, it's the only explanation that I can think of. I'm it's not being facetious. It, it, I'm dead serious. <laughs> it's just it's no, such there's... a weird scene. It, it, it kind of gives it kind of gives them a weird character trait that you've never seen in ever before, and it just it is a what the fuck moment. It's just like what you know. It's one thing if he wants to shave him, but why did he dress him down? completely naked and tie him to a table to do it you know it's just it's, it's so it's odd. these sequels it's these franchise sequels that do these weird things that it, it makes you just stop and think like what like you know who would have thought jason really cared about shaving who would have thought you know yeah michael myers is weird for eating a dog in the first one but at least he's not impregnating his niece by part six like what <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's oh. so who wants to take a stab at doing the um, mythology rundown of this movie. Who wants to take a stab at trying to explain what uh, Marcus and company were going for here? Well, I, can... I had always read. I had always read that this movie did not take place in the Paramount Friday the Thirteenth universe. That this was the Paramount movies were based on a real life Jason Voorhees, and that's the Jason Voorhees that is in Jason Goes to Hell. Mm-hmm. That is a thing that I've read. I. I, I don't think you need to go to those uh, the uh, links to explain it, but that was one thing I remember reading, probably in this uh, this uh, movie magazine that I got. Here. What do you think, Jason? Uh, well, well, originally they the the idea was to try to tie it to Manhattan, and the idea was that oh, Jason God. washes up out dead serious. He washes <laughs> up out of out of the out from Manhattan into a river back into Crystal Lake. the boat got there so why can't you wash back you know um so this guy so the shadowy figure grabs him out of the lake drags him back to a cabin it ends up being his wait a minute this is halloween five this is halloween five (laughs) (laughs) 
and, and that's how the, the the character Elias Voorhees came in. It's his brother. It's supposed to be his brother, and his brother eats the heart, and that was the original intention. And then they scrapped that and said, "We don't want the brother in. We're just going to bring in a sister he didn't have and bring, and work her into the mythology." And uh, and that's kind of where it it was born out of because they didn't want to um, have they didn't want it tied to the Paramount films, so they were just like, "Let's just." We're going to start from the beginning with the the, the the prologue, and we're going to you know start that way. In terms of like what the mythology is, um, I think even Adam Marcus said that he's kind of like he's like Hell's assassin. That's what they were going for. Mm-hmm. Literally, that's that's what he. I remember him saying that one time. He's Hell's assassin, and his job is to just take out everybody in this area. Because, you know, he was wronged, his mom was wronged, and, and that's the way it's going to be. Why if he's Hell's Assassin, <laughs> if he's Hell's Assassin, then it is a disservice not to get a Jason going to the, the hotel in John Wick for a showdown. <laughs> <laughs> you know, forget Jason or versus Freddy or mm-hmm. you know, throw Ash in there. Let's just give us Keanu Reeves. So the specific, and I had read uh, Jason to your point, or Mike to your point about Jason not being part of the not being part of the Paramount series. I had read that in the book, I think Slash of the Titans, and I think that was one of the treatments that was going to be considered for Freddy versus Jason. It was like the trial of Jason Voorhees, where he the real life serial killer was being brought up on charges um, that the Paramount movies did. Wow, and that that was a script. That was one of the scripts that was. There I think was... that might have even been the script that was done by Ronald Moore of um, Battlestar Galactica. I think that wow. was. Wow, I believe that's correct. Yeah. yeah. In uh, ninety nine, in nineteen ninety nine, I came across a script online and I read it for uh, one of the proposed Freddy versus Jason mm-hmm. sequels, and it was the survivors of Jason Goes to Hell teaming up with Alice from Nightmare Five for basically going against Freddy versus Jason. And to this day, that was super interesting. I love that. I love that idea. So the specific mythology that goes on, and I do want to circle back on Jason Takes Manhattan for one question I have after, gentlemen. Um, The specific mythology of this movie is Jason Voorhees is not necessarily Jason Voorhees, but some sort of like that hell beast that can transfer from person to person. And if he is killed, he can only be reborn again through the body of a Voorhees woman. And uh, Jerry, you made the note here that Aaron Gray gets the evil dead treatment. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, that's one of the things about the film that genuinely bothers me and, and not so much in a, uh, you know, oh, I just don't like this movie, but like, this doesn't sit well with me. I love Evil Dead with a passion. I mean, my knuckles are tattooed with the words Evil Dead. But one thing that it, it's been like, it's happened in multiple films that it just doesn't sit well with me in general. Erin uh, Gray's scene, you know, she goes to the premiere of this movie she's in, and she sees, oh, this worm goes right up between her legs, you know, into her vagina, basically. And it's just like, the same thing. She had no knowledge that that was even filmed or, or, you know, the same as Evil Dead, where there's like the tree rape, you know, and there's that shot, the tree just going right up there. Or mm-hmm. Sharon Stone not knowing <laughs> that they were going to film pretty much up close in that basic instinct shot. <laughs> I'm wondering, like, shouldn't there be laws against this stuff? Or has there since been laws against that stuff that, like, it, it's almost like an exploitative thing to do to an actor? Right. Oop, what happened there? 
Did someone fall over? I'm still here. Okay. No, Sounds but like... I, I just I think it's I think it's interesting that these things happen. No, it's I, it's just, it's odd. Like, and ever since reading that, I don't remember if it was crystallic memories or something else. Like mm-hmm. that that scene's always very uncomfortable for me now. Like it's the same with Evil Dead. The tree scene, it's kind of uncomfortable knowing that the actual, you know, actor involved wasn't notified about this kind of stuff. Right. And it, it feels it feels very, you know, violating. And it's weird with the Evil Dead, and we'll get to that when we cover Evil Dead one day, is that Sam um, Raimi had said, like, the one thing he regretted from the Evil Dead was the tree rape scene. He's like, ah, we shouldn't have done that. And then it's in the remake, do which, it in the he, remake. <laughs> which he produced and was pretty hands-on with. It's like, that is a bizarre... That's like, I don't think that scene... It's, it's not like the... I don't think it's fondly remembered like, say, Freddy popping through the wall over Nancy's bed in the original Elm Street movie. You know, it's like not remembered like that where you, oh, you got to have the sinner. It's not an Evil Dead movie. Well, like, it's, no, the thing is, like, I, I understand that stuff being in, you know, films like I Spit on Your Grave or films mm-hmm. that deal with the repercussions of rape or Miss 45 and that kind of stuff. But it feels really weird being in a Friday the 13th movie like, oh, right. Jason's reborn through the vagina of his sister. Mm-hmm. Like, that just sounds weird. <laughs> Like, what is with people? This is this is what's funny. What is with the off the rails entries in every franchise having to do with raping a family member? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like Jamie <laughs> being impregnated by Michael Myers in six. You know what I mean? Like it's it's odd. Yeah, and even uh, Dream Child was Mike. I think you mentioned earlier. Like there is the implication that that's Freddy's baby. In yeah, Dream that's really Child. strange. Yeah, it's a very, very, very <laughs> odd thing, especially knowing what the history of that character was supposed well, to be. It's interesting knowing that there was at one point a meeting in all of these franchises saying, okay, so how do we sum this up? Well, let's take this iconic slasher and involve them in, you know. And, he's and, a worm. <laughs> he's a worm. He's in, he's led by a, a senior citizen cult, you know. Like, I, uh, yeah, let's guys have So I have a question about, for Mike and Jason about Jason Takes Manhattan because this came up during God. recording our last. I know the then the question is like, not just why. Um, so the end of that movie. So the end of this movie, Jason Takes Manhattan. Toxic Sludge turns Jason back into like a twelve-year-old little boy. Now. <laughs> Sure. Sure. And then he's a worm. All right. Fine. Sure. Cash to check. Cash to check. My question is, are Rennie and Scott, just leave him there. Like, they leave this 12-year-old special needs kid in the sewers of New York. Like, are they horrible people for doing this? Like, Well, I mean, in all due respect, that that kid uh, a few minutes like earlier was like this big hulking beast that tried to murder them and all their friends. But now he's oh. just a little kid. <laughs> if you really I can't wanna, even. Yeah. If you really want to stretch, like maybe that was just her vision of him, you know, being uh, redeemed in some way. Like the she definitely had visions in that movie. I mean, she was on some crazy stuff. When like she, she saw, like she saw Jason's dead body laying there, but when she saw it, he was like a little kid. Now, like it was like he was uh, he was cleansed. Maybe, maybe that's it. I wouldn't take that kid. No, I don't. I'm not good with children anyway. So like, yeah, let's get out of here. We're in New York. Let's, oh go, <laughs> let's go. Let's go over to Cats and see if they're still open. Do you at least call child services and wait? Call somebody. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to be completely heartless. I hey, look, 
Like I did what I could, but there's a kid in the sewer. <laughs> like let the, tur- oh, let the Ninja I... Turtles take care of him. Let the Ninja Turtles take care. Of him. Jason, your thoughts on this? Oh man, I'll tell this you, this is really it, upsetting it, to me. Like this is it's... out of everything we've discussed in any of these movies. <laughs> this is like the bug up my ass that I have. I, I gotta say, first of all, I can't even watch the end of that movie anymore. I turn it off once they go in the sewer. I hate mm-hmm. that ending. I hate it with a passion. It drives me crazy. It's terrible Jason makeup. Some of the worst Jason makeup I have ever seen when that mask it's, comes off in the sewer. It, so it's bad. really bad. But the, the way I always kind of took that ending was like, like kind of like we were already talking about is like the, the evil has been taken away, like washed <laughs> away, cleansed definitely. And is the boy really there or is she seeing him? I mean, I, yeah, I guess that's still for interpretation. But honestly, I just fucking leave him. I wouldn't even go near him. Gone. That's it. Gone. What am I going to do walking around with a, a half-naked kid through Times Square? <laughs> and then when you're, when you're stopped by the authorities, what do you say? Well, this guy tried to murder me, but now he's a kid, so it's okay. You go into a mental hospital immediately. I mean, Toby found them. They're fine, right? The dog found mm-hmm. them, and they're good in the middle of Times Square. Right? Oh, this is, it just has never sat well with me. This has never never sat well um i'm trying to think of what else that we have here to really go over oh you know what we haven't even talked about the final shot like what this whole movie existed for basically i just almost skipped completely over it so let's talk a little bit about the end of this movie um jason is pulled back down to hell by some sort of like were they cgi demons or kind of like cell painted i cannot remember they looked like they were miniatures right they were looked like they was just like big rubber hands or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, they had they had actors actually in these like exactly like you say like big hands. Um, originally they they had built uh models uh table models that and they were animatronic mm-hmm. and they actually they scrapped all of it because it just didn't look really good and so they ended up going with the large you know the regular size puppets just with the hands instead of the more mm-hmm. elaborate like tree demons coming out to pull them down. Right. So after he's pulled down to hell, the mask is left above ground. You get the uh, hand reach out, and that hand is played by Kane Hodder, making him the only person to play both Freddy and Jason in a movie. Uh, and it pulls the hockey mask down while we hear that laugh. And when you guys saw this, you know, all of us saw this in theaters, like what immediately sprang to mind the moment that happened? I, I didn't have time to think because the audience just started chanting, Freddy, Freddy, Freddy. <laughs> and that's what I'll always remember. Well, I I looked at it I, I mean, as soon as it happened. I I was like froze. Like, did that just happen? Did I imagine that? Because I mm-hmm. I always had thought about that happening, you know. And I'm like, did I just see something? And like, and then I had to ask my buddies. I'm like, did that really happen? And like, hell yeah, that happened. I'm like, I, and I'm like, right away. I'm like, they're gonna come out with that movie next year. Like right away. And mm-hmm. of course, That's what I thought too. When I when I watched it when I was 13, I. I, that was the first thing I thought. Oh man, I cannot wait until Freddy versus Jason comes out mm-hmm. in six months or a year. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't mean, know that I we'd thought... be waiting until two thousand and what three. Yeah, I mean, I remember like the the audience I was in went bananas for it. I went nuts for it to the point where I can't believe my date actually had sex with me after because I was going so <laughs> bananas. Okay, so, how old were you again? Eighteen. <laughs> this Man. is the night. I, this is the night I lost my virginity, folks. This is why Jason goes to hell. Jason goes to hell. This was that we went on this. I can remember the date, August fifteenth, nineteen ninety three, because you don't forget <laughs> this shit. 
<laughs> opening weekend. And we went to this little golf course near her house after. It was, you know, no one's there. It was night. And, you know, we played a little game called Just a Tip, just to see how it feels. And let's move from there. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is why. So for if no other reason, this movie gets five stars. Greatest <laughs> five movie. Stars. <laughs> five, five stars. Would watch again. Uh, but I remember the crowd going bananas for it. And I'm like, yeah, this movie must be made already. It must be coming out, like you said, Jerry, next year. And then I kind of feel like Wes Craven kind of fucked this up for everybody because he was like, well, I want to do another Freddy Krueger movie now. <laughs> and we got in there like, all right, Wes, let's see what you got. And I don't love New Nightmare. Uh, I, I well, really. Yeah. So wait, here's the deal with that. Uh, yeah, Wes Craven might have fucked it up a little bit. But at the same time, I think going through like what, 4000 scripts. Sure. For that movie and not really knowing what direction they wanted to go. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like that is the thing that really kept it going or kept Absolutely. it, you know, being made. Mm -hmm. So I love the ending to this movie, um, you know, and yeah, it's very basic. And I know that Adam Marcus isn't the first person or even like the one millionth person to think of like, let's put Freddy and Jason together. But I thought it was executed really well. It's a really cool moment to end the movie. Per I'd say it's perfect. Absolutely. So if the, you know, and I just wish we got Freddy versus Jason. It didn't take 10 years to make that movie overall. So what do people, what, how do people react to this movie? How does it do with the box office overall? I think it ended up making only about, what, $14 million overall. Um, I think the opening weekend was probably around, I'm, I'm guessing, out of mm -hmm. memory, probably like around five, five, six million on its opening weekend. Um, I seem to remember it premiering in the top 10. At yeah. least. It makes 10 million, the first, almost 10 million, the first three days it's out on a, a, a budget of like half of that it makes about 10 million so you got to be pretty excited if you're new line cinema but then to your point jason it falls off the map it ends with about 14 million and change so yeah, I think it, once word got out they're like oh yeah jason's a giant worm in this movie and not really <laughs> in it people are like fuck that noise and they're not going to see it which is unfortunate that same thing happened with the 2009 movie, too, where it opened up humongous and then it just dropped off. Like it lost like 80 percent of its business after that first right. weekend. And mm -hmm. You know, and I think in the case of 2009, you could argue anyone that wanted to see the movie went that first weekend. You know, they were that excited for it. It's less about it being negative word of mouth and more about, you know, there's only so many people that are into that movie that are going to go see it here. It feels like. Once people find out the general plot of it, you know, and the word of mouth coming out of it wasn't great, people decided, eh, I'll wait for the video at this point. <laughs> and that's with no real big internet presence yet either. It right. wasn't like there was social media. So for it to drop like yeah. that, I mean, they were getting filled with reviews for sure. So, um, Mike, you had said, you know, that um, Daily Grindhouse, uh, well, I'm going to wait <laughs> one second before I ask this because it sounds like there's something some movement going on back there. This one's going to be fun to edit. <laughs> is everything all right? Is that you, Jerry? I'm back now, yeah. I have no idea what happened. Okay. So I was asking Mike, Mike, you had said Daily Grindhouse had done, and we'll um, find those articles and maybe link them in our show notes here. Um, what was it that made Daily Grindhouse go back and do like a, to revisit this movie and maybe defend the movie overall? I 
it's it's just a pitch that I always seem to get as assistant editor. Like it's always something that somebody really uh, feels very strongly about. And I think it's more so to do with the fact that people feel so strongly the other way and are very vocal about it on social media that, you know, the few, the, the few, the, the few, the proud, the brave that honest to God, love Jason goes to hell, Mm -hmm. have a lot to say about it. And you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll run, I'll run 10 more uh, defenses of Jason goes to hell. (laughs) I I may have one for you to submit to. Because I'm a big, I, I, I love this movie. There's so much cool. And it's, it's, ultra cool like it gives enough of what you want out of a friday the 13th movie mm-hmm. like that opening is like all right you want this kind of friday the 13th movie you're gonna get it but then we're gonna blow jason up at the end of it mm-hmm. uh and then you know you get the the campers yeah we're gonna kill some campers too don't worry about it but he's also a giant worm and the coroner's gonna eat the heart which is a stretch <laughs> uh, and this is a movie that i'm definitely i would be i'm you can never really figure this out. What would it be received as today? Because I contend that Freddy's Dead, if Freddy's Dead came out today, it would be called a return to form for the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, people would be really excited about uh, the way it uh, portrays uh, survivors, uh, the, the imaginative deaths, the imaginative mm-hmm. nightmare sequences. But in 1991... And uh, you, for more of my thoughts on this, you can find me on the Halloweenies podcast. Apparently, I'm the guy to call in when you talk about the final movies of these mm-hmm. uh, of the series. We're doing Freddy's Dead. That'll be coming up in a couple weeks on the Halloweenies podcast. Um, in 1991, it's just a fit franchise running out of steam. Right. But I contend that, you know, Jason Goes to Hell, like, they injected an imagination into it. And uh, it still holds up for me today. I'm, I definitely would love to... to... Yeah, I think I need to go back and revisit Freddy's Dead because my memory of it is it's a little bit of a tough watch because it feels like, and I don't know if this makes a lot of sense, but there's a lot of empty space in that movie. That it feels really barren. Like the other Elm Street movies seem like there's always something going on. Like they really crackle with a lot of energy. And Freddy's Dead, which is weird because it's Rachel uh, Talahay. Am I saying that right? To she, you know, she ran with like the John Waters crew, and you think she would make a really kind of like bizarre and fucked up entry, and I in a good way, and I just didn't find it to be that. But maybe I, you know, like you said, need to go back and revisit it with a well, fresh pair of eyes. It's perfectly okay. Like not every, not every uh, late era genre entry is ripe for rediscovery. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think we're. I mean, you tell me why I should see Hell, Hellraiser eight. I, I've seen it, <laughs> but. Freddy, like like Freddy's dead. Freddy's dead is perfectly okay. It's mm-hmm. fine. It's a it's a franchise running out of steam. Like, I badmouth bad all the Halloween sequels. Like I don't think there's any good Halloween movie except the original. Mm-hmm. But like like Jason goes to hell. Like I don't know. It's just weird enough that it works for me. Okay. Yeah. I I love the effects of this movie. I love. I love the tongue-in-cheek dialogue, like Stephen telling the campers, like when they're like, "Oh, we're going out to Crystal Lake to go camping." He's like, "Oh, gonna smoke a little dope and have a little sex, right?" You know, like I, and then like getting, and you're gonna get killed in it. Like I love how tongue-in-cheek this movie is, and it's a little bit ahead of its time in that way as well. It returns some of like Tom McLaughlin's humor that he had in Part Six. It kind of returns a little bit to that overall too, and it was like a really fun way to do it. 
Um, Jason, you mentioned early on that this is the most divisive title and one of the most talked about titles over on your site. What is the scuttlebutt? Like, what do you see there normally? Uh, normally, it's just the fact that, you know, it's different from the formula, sort of what we talked about before, where, you know, it's just people, they can't, the, the biggest thing I have to tell you is that Jason isn't on screen long enough. And it's, it's such a, a silly kind of argument to have where Jason's in the movie a lot. And in fact, you know, he's in the film on screen a lot more than other movies mm -hmm. in the franchise. He really is. He is. Um, in, in terms of, you know, his body. Um, that's the biggest argument I always see on the social media is that alone. And you always have to shoot that down. And mm -hmm. you can't just say that's the only reason why you don't like it. But realistically, I'd say that and probably just that it's not a typical Friday the 13th film in the worm, in the jumping around and such, definitely. Right. Okay. I think uh, in, in clearly not as negative as I, I make them out to be. Like, <laughs> I don't enjoy the movie. I don't enjoy the movie really at all. Uh, but at the same time, I'm happy that it exists. I'm happy that Halloween 6 exists, even though I don't like it. I'm happy that Freddy or Freddy's Dead exists because I, I think it's interesting that that each franchise has these entries that they're like, you know what, we're going to go so crazy that it, it is going to be that divisive. And I think every franchise needs movies like that. But even if they're not my cup of tea, I definitely appreciate the fact that they exist. Mm -hmm. Agree. I would agree. Do we have anything else to add to Freddy versus Jason, gentlemen? I'm good. I, 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 I rent it. Love it. Put it in your top five where it belongs. Excellent. So, <laughs> so in closing, Mike, what do you, where can people find you and what do, you know, online, not like you don't want to give them your address. I mean, you can if you want. It's oh, they could, uh, but, if, they, if they want to meet me in person, just come to the Rock Island Public House Saturday nights or all day Sundays uh, mm -hmm. in beautiful downtown Blue Island, Illinois. Mm -hmm. uh, online, you can find me uh, at Mike Vanderbilt on Twitter or uh, Mike Vanderbilt on Facebook. Yeah, just like the school, that's how it's spelled. Or you can find me over at Daily Grindhouse or Consequence of mm -hmm. Sound and anywhere else that'll pay me to write. And where do you have, what are you working on right now? What's paying the bills that you have coming up? Um, I just, I just, I got, I got a big visual essay about Quentin Tarantino movies coming out mm -hmm. uh, at Consequence of Sound that I'm really excited about. Mm -hmm. And I'm still working on all of my Fantasia coverage. Okay. Uh, trying to wrap all that up. Mm -hmm. Were you out in Montreal last week? I was uh, two weeks ago. I was up in Montreal. Oh, I need to get back there next year. I need to get back there next year. It's such an awesome festival. Oh, I, it's a great festival. I, 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 every festival I go to, I say, I'm not going back. I'm done. Mm -hmm. and, and then they get me back because I have yep. such a good time there. I did see the, speaking of franchises, I did see the new Critters movie. Which, hey, what do you think of that real quick? Uh, yeah, I want to get in this for just a minute. Uh, I will not go easy on this when I'm writing about it because it shouldn't be so hard to make an enjoyable Critters movie. And we got two bad ones in 2019 alone. And I'm a, <laughs> fan, and, and I'm a big fan of Critters 4. I think Critters mm -hmm. 4 is... Uh, there you go. There's the uh, late-era genre entry that needs to be rediscovered. Okay. Even though I said better, it's Critters 4. Uh, so it's bad. <laughs> So, anything did anything jump out in a good way at Fantasia? Like, what should uh, we be looking out for? Uh, the Phantom of Winnipeg documentary about the the cult following that Phantom of Paradise developed in uh, Winnipeg, Canada. 
Excellent. Oh, okay. wow. Keep our eyes out for that. And how about you, Jason? Where can people find you online right now? And what do you have? What are you working over on it? Uh, Friday the 13th franchise.com. Uh, yeah, basically you can just find me at that website, Friday the 13th franchise.com. Uh, all the social media is linked on that site. Uh, and, uh, currently we're just trying to put together some, uh, more pieces, uh, some kind of, um, like we did a, uh, top, top three kills, uh, in each film. We just finished mm-hmm. up that right now. So we're working on a similar series of articles, uh, in the same vein, um, and then also just reporting on any of the news upcoming and uh, anything to do with home video releases, which uh, I just posted some really cool stuff. A uh, German distributor, uh, they're putting mm-hmm. out some media books for uh, part six through eight with some unbelievable artwork that they oh, got. Oh, those look great. Those yeah. are gorgeous. Yeah, we saw that that post. Those look beautiful. Yeah, no, I was really excited to, to find that and get that on the site. And then uh, I guess the biggest thing is just waiting for that news that uh, they finally got the rights battle figured mm-hmm. out so we can get a new film in theaters. Right. I think we yeah, might be dead and buried before that happens. <laughs> but and, uh, any, any, any listeners of, of the show that hasn't checked out uh, Friday13thFranchise.com, you're definitely messing up because it honestly, I, I visit that site every day. It's, it's really great. The work you guys are doing is awesome. It's been a tremendous resource in putting these shows together. We're now hit the three-quarter point, so it's been definitely like really helpful for us in terms of pulling out news and quotes and whatnot, so we really appreciate that. Um, all right, so Jerry, why don't you tell our listeners what we have coming up next week? Next week is Jason X, uh, a movie <laughs> that is also divisive. Uh, I, I lean more into the uh, I'm pretty fond of it area. Uh, and we're going to have uh, Jonathan Barkon from uh, Dread Central and yeah. uh, even a five-minute appearance from uh, the real star, uh, Dexter Scott Elliott Smith, my 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he begged us to let him talk for just a couple minutes about Jason yeah. X. And so for the record, Jerry, Jerry didn't want him on. I'm like, no, let him on. Jerry was adamant. I don't want my well, kid. Well, I mean, my, my son lives up to his uh, his name. I mean, you know, his middle name is Elliot and his last name Smith, so he's depressed all the time. So I figured, oh. you know. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> I mean, when you're named after a singer-songwriter that stabbed himself in the heart twice, you know, you got to be a little easy on the kid. So, yeah, he's going to be on it as well. I don't know how to end on that note. <laughs> well, I thanks i guess no, okay. uh, actually what's what's funny really quick really super quick story uh my daughter's named dahlia i named her after the black dahlia murder i i never told her why no it gets funny i never told her why she's asked me for years dad what do you name me after uh i'll tell you about it later uh i took them to see spider-man far from home two nights ago and uh those bastards felt the need to be like oh you like dahlia like the murder and every single time that happened on screen, my daughter turned around and stared at me with these eyes like, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Dexter will be on the show next week along with uh, John from Dread Central. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, Jason, Mike, thank you for so much for joining us. You guys are always welcome back whenever you'd like. Oh, it's uh, my pleasure. So yeah, thank you. Definitely have you back on. and. Uh, to our listeners, again, follow us over at Pod and Pendulum. Leave us a review, help spread the word, and we'll see you guys again next week. Thanks very much.